It's actually just, you built Neil Young. Wonderful. You're welcome. We were changing the headline. Dangerous Crossroads in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 72 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to play everyone's favorite fiend-touched race, tieflings. But first, the party makes a fateful decision in the Morning Glory campaign, and the Faustian Fiddler makes a deal with the devil in the Character Creation Forge. Before we get to all of that, we promised we would talk about Unearthed Arcana because we are, like, five entries behind at this yeah, point and we always keep our promises yeah well usually <laughs> uh yeah so they've been releasing a new unearthed arcana every week for the past month or so and uh, it sounds like they're going to be doing that until they get through all of the classes because each unearthed arcana is new subclasses for the existing php classes they're pretty hit or miss yeah definitely <laughs> so starting with it's alphabetical so starting with barbarian we got the ancestral guardian they do get a marking mechanic, and they can protect some allies, which opens up a new space for barbarians. Yeah, they're actually able to be a tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have the Storm Herald, which has an aura that causes damage in some fashion, either fire, lightning, or cold are their, their three themes. You get a bit of elemental resistance depending on which one you pick, and then there's some nice movement denial abilities at higher levels. And then there's the Zealot, which is uh, sort of a more warlordy kind of barbarian yeah it's got a damage aura it's got a battle cry that helps allies <laughs> you keep fighting while raging even if you drop to zero <laughs> even if you die yeah <laughs> but then you die but then you actually yeah, die. yeah. <laughs> so i don't know i i like the barbarians the this got me excited for the remainder of the unearthed arcana yeah i thought they were fine i liked the zealot but that was probably more because of the flavor rather than necessarily the abilities which is fine i mean if the flavor is good enough and the abilities work, I think that's a perfect class because it's not power creeping. Mm-hmm. I think what we'll need to see is when these sort of come out in a more final form, you need to compare them to the options that already exist. And Barbarian is one of those that has really strong options. Yeah. I mean, the measuring stick is the bare totem Barbarian, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it is hard to get other options on the table when bare totem exists. Yeah. Now, sort of on the opposite side of the spectrum is the bard options. We get two new colleges. Glamour, which kind of deals with fey, gives you some nymph-like abilities, mass charms, and things like that. And then the College of Whispers, which is sort of your underhanded spy college. Yeah, the only thing that really stuck out to me here was that the College of Whispers can poison their weapon, but they can spend their bardic inspiration to deal extra damage with that poisoned weapon at very low levels. And that's the earliest time that you can actually sort of get a damage benefit from your own bardic inspiration. But of course, it is poison damage. Yeah, and it's the only bard that isn't a party-friendly bard. <laughs> you know, he's he's the one who is just selfish. Overall, not a huge fan of either of these. I agree. You only get two. So, yeah. Meh. Uh, so then the cleric domains. <laughs> okay, two of these are terrible, and one is amazing. So let's start alphabetically Okay. with the amazing one, the forge domain. I feel like they took all the abilities that you might want from a fire-themed character and just sort of put them in one place. You get uh, heavy armor proficiency. You get the shield spell, heat metal, both of which are amazing. You get... AC bonuses that are just always on, some fire resistance, extra divine damage, and then, you know, at the end, let's just give you some fire immunity. Yep, and you also get that neat kind of handy ability to copy metal items that you've seen. (laughs) Oh, I can just make a copy of that key, for example. (laughs) Yeah, I love that they call it out. They're like, no, 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 GMs. This is what they're supposed to be using it for. Right. Uh, And then from a really, really good and interesting domain into the grave, Mm -hmm. which is death but watered down. Mm Mm-hmm. And protection, which is bad. Forge, I think, is better at protecting other people, honestly. Yeah, so protection doesn't get the shield spell, which I find weird. Mm -hmm. Um, But it gets things like compelled duel, which, I mean, yes, in in a roundabout way is a form of protection. But also is a really lame way of implementing it. Yeah, you get the protection fighting style, but they don't call it that. Right. So overall, I think the cleric domains are lackluster. 
that forge is probably needs to be toned down toned a little down. bit. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk about druid circles. First one up is dreams. You get a nice daily pool of healing. Um, I like the sort of low level ribbon ability where you can protect a campsite. You know, light from inside the campsite can't be seen from outside it, and everyone gets a perception bonus. That was really cool. Yeah. You do get a nearly at will teleportation ability. You still use your movement, but you can teleport, except that you can't do it again for 1d4 rounds. I like that. I mean, adding another die roll in here, probably not a great thing for keeping the game moving. But Very true. But some of you may remember that from 3.5, the prestige class Horizon Walker, where you could cast Dimension Door once every 1d4 rounds, which was sort of like what your high-level capstone ability. So I liked that throwback. It's not necessarily the most useful thing. We also have this 14th level ability that allows you to um, dispel magic when you heal an ally which I can't tell if that is really ill-advised or just pointless. Because I'm, I'm trying to remember all the games that we've played at high level. How many buffs did we really have floating around? And how many debuffs did we really have floating around? And when were the times where that was worth it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it's free, so that's neat. But like druids aren't primary healers to begin with. And the wording makes it so that you cannot choose what effect to goes away on that character it's just all of them it's the target a creature version of dispel magic so all their buffs are going away as well yeah i I mean it's handy for some of the real pc killer kind of effects you know i'm I'm thinking of like beholder eye rays and those Mm. sorts of things it might be handy um also like the immolation spell which is a great way to ruin a day yeah i'd rather have them just not tie it to dispel magic but just do one of those, you know, wordings where you end in effect or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And they've done that with other classes, so it's yeah. definitely doable. Yeah, so that one could be fixed. Um, then we have the shepherd. Which I think you hate. I Oh, I hate summoning. <laughs> I hate anything that's going to slow down combat. And, and making summoning more attractive is just begging to have more initiative rolls to deal with. For the most part, I agree. I will point out, though, that this is one of the only ways, maybe the only way, to give your summon creatures magical attacks and not have them be useless at high levels. Okay, so right now... <laughs> This is better than the Beastmaster Ranger at yep. being a Beastmaster. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen the Ranger options yet. So maybe, just maybe, after two surveys, Wizards of the Coast heard us and they've given magical attacks to the Beastmaster Ranger. Fingers crossed. Pause Pause crossed? Something like that. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's a summoner. It's the summoner druid. So fine, whatever. Yeah. There's the Circle of Twilight in opposition to the circle of dreams you have a pool of damage rather than healing which i think is sort of one of the few times we've actually seen a druid able to add additional damage to their spell effects that's okay you get radiant and necrotic resistance which is also kind of okay it's relatively lackluster yeah i think it's a it's a fine alternative to the land druid right so if you're going to be a primary caster druid this gives you a way to differentiate between that Although you are not getting uh, circle spells. Right. So you've got a lower spell selection, but you can amp up the spells that you do have. I, mm-hmm. I think that's a fine trade-off. That's a, that's a classic D&D trade-off. It's a bit right? more evokey. Yeah. Exactly. And then there's an option for GMs to limit what kind of beast shapes a druid can use for wild shape. And like as a player of a druid, I actually am okay with this. It makes sense that you can't turn into literally every animal you've ever seen, just a select number of them that you've sort of practiced turning into. Yeah. Thematically, it's fine. And I think at most tables, I, I can't imagine this is a big problem. Where I think it's helpful is at Adventures League, you've got a way to kind of codify on your sheet, mm. my druid can turn into these things. And then you'll go and min-max that like you do everything else. But, you know, at least it, it's... I think this is just a nod to Adventures League where that could be a bigger problem. I also like that it can differentiate different druids. You know, you can have two moon druids, but, like, one turns into canines right. and another turns into, like, bears or something like that. You know, yeah. and, like, it shows their personality. Yeah. So, overall, okay with the druids? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too upset if this were what got published. Yeah, a couple of mini tweaking. Yeah. All right, so now we have Fighter. Overall, this was pretty good, or at least I liked a lot of the ideas that I saw. So Fighter has a natural problem in that it's right in its name. It's a fighter, <laughs> so it doesn't get to do a whole lot else, you know? Um, and this isn't going to fix that problem, unfortunately, so it's a bit disappointing for me, but it's got some cool archetypes. 
some land a little better than others. Yeah. So we've got the Arcane Archer, which we've tried to build in the Character Creation Forge to middling effect. Yeah, the playtest had a feat that let you do it. I wish this looked more like the Eldritch Knight with actual spells, but these are basically glorified Battlemaster maneuvers that sort of have spell-like effects. So I don't love it. But then we'd get the Knight, and I think the Knight's pretty cool. Yeah, it might actually be a little too powerful. You've got a marking mechanic, you get a version of the Sentinel feat. Well, so let's explain what we mean by marking mechanic, because it's the second time we mentioned it. So not everyone played 4th edition, (laughs) myself included. So in 4th edition, there was an option for all defender classes where you basically sort of called out an enemy, and then they took penalties if they were attacking anyone except for you. So it was like, like a taunt effect. I don't know what the video game version is, but... It's called Taunt, I think, in in World of Warcraft, yeah. (laughs) Aggro, something like that? Yeah, it's a a way to uh, maintain aggro, is how they call it in the MMO games. Okay. Uh, It's kind of difficult to do in 5th edition as currently written, so it is interesting to see the option. Yeah, and so it's basically you have disadvantage on attack rolls against other creatures. The enemy does, yeah. Yeah. And then we see a feature that shows up in some of the other fighter archetypes as well rapid strike which i like the idea of this it's if you have advantage on an attack roll you can give it up and instead make an additional attack as a bonus action yeah so this is going to be right in the wheelhouse for your great weapon fighters Uh, but generally if you've got a magic weapon or any type of on hit effects that you can add on you're going to want to make another attack versus attacking with advantage so it's a handy little trade-off. Right. Also, if they have defensive abilities, they're probably only going to be able to use it once. Right. Uh, and then they also get an additional opportunity attack. So if you've already used your reaction in a round, you are then able to make an opportunity attack. But still just once per turn. Right. I don't know how powerful this is, but it is the only time we've really seen it. I am a little worried about it with things like Warcaster. Yeah, we'll have to see how it synergizes and, you know, how it, it is written in the final version. Yeah, but, I mean, overall, I think casting Counterspell and then also making an attack, it's not going to end the game, you know? And it's like a 15th <laughs> level ability, so yeah. it's like, it's your thing. And there's Samurai, which I feel on the whole is a little bit weaker than Knight. Uh, you get this nice mechanic where uh, you spend a bonus action and you get advantage on all your attack rolls and resistance to weapon damage for a round it's like baby rage yeah (laughs) which is interesting because people often use rage to emulate some sort of like samurai or yatsu focus yeah thus far we do that all the time we're like you're not angry you're just drilled in (laughs) you get proficiency in wisdom saving throws and if you already have that you can actually pick intelligence or charisma which is nice and you also can add wisdom to your charisma skill checks or ability checks when dealing with nobles <laughs> which is super niche but also super flavorful so it's a lousy ribbon ability because it'll never come into oh, use uh, unless you're playing a politics game in which case i mean in which case yeah it's pretty it's pretty <laughs> neat you know i mean it, it's gonna break your bounded accuracy <laughs> and they also get rapid strike as well and then finally we have the sharpshooter which is a sniper yeah, it does exactly what you think a guy who shoots arrows from far away does. Yeah, more attacks with arrows and more damage on them. Mm-hmm. And good eyes. Yeah. yeah. So thoughts overall on the fighter? I like the direction this is going. You know, there's a lot of new options that I will be happy to see sprinkled throughout many different classes. Yeah, this is another one of those cases where I think for fighter, you've got the option of being boring and solid with the champion or you've got the option of having interesting things to do with the Battlemaster, and the other two options are kind of traps, because Eldritch Knight isn't great, and the Purple Dragon Knight is super niche. (laughs) (laughs) Also not great. Right. So I I think these are viable options. The Knight might be a little too strong, but I I think these are in the right range for what I would like to see for fighters. And also, reclaiming the whole sniper thing with Sharpshooter is interesting, especially because what we saw from the ranger before made us concerned that the ranger might become the new sniper. It has always been one of their archetypes, so this does make me think, all right, you were doubling down on melee ranger, this had better be good. Yeah, yeah. 
And then we also said we would make some predictions. So what do you think we're doing all this for? Why, why every class getting someone with Arcana, Ishan? Just say it. I I know. I still have a hard time thinking we're getting an entirely new source book. I, I think it's going to be PHB 2. And I know Wizards of the Coast keeps saying, well, it's not going to be PHB 2 because some people get confused that PHB 2 is just an updated version of the PHB and we've had upset customers. No, Nobody has ever gotten confused by that. And we haven't figured out how to call it Volume 2 <laughs> so that people know it's a separate book. I don't know. But yeah, I think that's what it's going to be. And I think it's probably going to be one of the split books. So it's got some player stuff, uh, some lore type stuff, or how to make or how to build or how to um, play characters in new and interesting ways at the, the first half. And then a bunch of class options in the back half. Are you thinking it'll come out in November? Of next year? Mm-hmm. No, I think it's going to be before that. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I do think it's going to be before that. All right, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going against the grain here. November is the right That's time usual. frame. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are fast approaching the end of our Morning Glory campaign. Hurtling. Our three-year level 1 to 20 Eberron <laughs> game. Here we are smack in the middle of the final session where the party is finally facing Belshalor, the Shadow and the Flame, inside the Silver Flame, his own little domain where he basically holds all the cards. And he, very graciously, I might add, has said, you know what? Let's not fight. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm going to remake the entire multiverse in my own image. Mm-hmm. But each of you, the six of you, I will give a tenth of this new creation. Do whatever you want with it. How generous. I'll keep the other 40%. Right, of course. What do you say? You can live forever. You can be gods. Uh, you know, all these souls that you'll be able to save. This is what I think you should do. Yeah, he made a sales pitch to each of us. In a slightly different way. Right. right. All basically uh, what was motivating us. Well, hey, you can go fix that in your little tenth of the universe. And I'll just like condemn 40% of it to torturous and hell. But, you know, 10% is yours. I mean, compare it to the way the world is now. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we all looked at each other, locked eyes, kind of shrugged, and drew our swords. Well, not everybody. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> five of us. <laughs> and longtime listeners might be thinking, it's that brand, right? It's brand. It's the, it's the Silver Flame Inquisitor has finally been tempted. He's been evil the entire time, and this is his turning point. Right, so Calic says, no... Of course not. I am on the side of goodness and justice. And Emery says, no, of course, I've always been fighting against fiends like you. And Lou says, no, I can do it on my own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was a Delkir. I'll be a Delkir again. <laughs> Bahar is like, mm, no, I think I'm going to go with the others because we're a team. And Brand says, no, you are literally the antithesis of my deity. I will restore the silver flame to righteousness <laughs> and goodness. And Bastion says, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a home for the Warforge? Great, I'm in. <laughs> and so the party attacks and Bastion steps in the way. There was a little bit of, guys, guys, maybe we should hear him out a little bit. And then there was smiting. The rest of us went, mm-hmm, that's a great story. We should definitely not do that. So Bastion and Belshalor take the brunt of an entire round of attacks from a 20th level plus party. And Bastion is... Worse for wear, but able to survive mm-hmm. that initial onslaught. I think a few of you were pulling punches as well, right? I'll attack Belshalor. I won't necessarily attack Bastion right away. Right. We were trying to give him a chance to redeem himself. Right. Instead of redeeming himself, Bastion looks over at Belshalor and says, are you going to help me here? Yeah. <laughs> he goes, WTF, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and Belshalor says, it seems like you are on my side. Yes. And Bastion's wounds knit up in front of everyone he seems to grow a little bit more in size and fiendish bat wings sprout from his back mechanically he also got an ac hp proficiency and damage boost and he got a few legendary resistances oh great and then you had 12 foot tall 800 pound warforged dreadnought made of stone and metal and wood with radiant fists and bat wings and bat wings <laughs> who ran up and started punching all of you guys really hard yeah <laughs> that's kind of his thing 
So the plane that this battle has started taking place on rumbles and then begins to rise slowly in the air. And the rest of the world, the rest of this city, the desert in the distance all begins to fall away as this plateau now that the party is on rockets into the heavens. And the party can see all around them, the world is falling away and these stars are falling out of the sky and the moons and, and heavenly orbs are, are melting and falling. And they can tell that this is the beginning of the end. Belshazzar is making his move. He is remaking the multiverse. And if they don't stop him, everything ends. Half of the party is spellcasters, but Belshazzar seems to be unaffected by their most powerful spells. Low-level spells still seem to work, though. Yeah, our, our trickiest spells, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> and Belshazzar is dishing it out as hard as the party is. He's using gouts of lightning that are bouncing around between all of them. He's throwing searing light at them. He controls the actions of some of them like like puppets. Like it's not mind control. It's just their their body is gripped by some sort of force and Kalik is forced to go through the motions of uh, attacking his his teammates, which is kind of tough because Kalik's a glass cannon. Yeah, and then he gets knocked around a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we all get scattered and we all have to run back up, you know. Yeah, he flings several of you off of this plateau into the infinite chasm below. Right. I think you actually got knocked off the plateau and then you were flying at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, I had I had dragon wings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emery got knocked down, I recall, and she like barely climbed up to the top of the plateau to cast Wish again so that everyone didn't die. Right. Yeah, she used the Wish for uh, for a mass heal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but between Mega Bastion and Belshalor and his legendary actions and his AOE spells, the party was not doing very well. No. And uh, it didn't, didn't hurt that we had the player playing Bastion laughing at how powerful he was and how much stronger he was and how little resources he had expended. It really was happening. It's like, man, I haven't been hurt at all. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so how did the party get out of this predicament? Well, for the first time, period, Brand cast a wish. An actual wish. An actual wish with wording and everything. Not like... I will heal the party of 700 damage. No, I will not replicate a lower level spell. I will not use any of the things that that risk me being unable to recast Wish. Uh, but this seemed like the time to do it. Like if I was going to burn out that spell, this seems like <laughs> a good time. Day. Yeah, <laughs> 33% seems like good odds. Yeah, yeah. So I rolled it. My wish was that we had what we needed to save the multiverse... AKA, I threw myself completely at Ishin's feet. <laughs> and then and I think you were like a little bit stunned that I had left it so open ended. And then, like, before you even said anything, I was like, oh, and I used Divine Intervention, <laughs> which is like my level 20 epic boon, which is, which is like the cleric ability, um, which is like a, a minor wish almost. And I was like, and I use this to make sure it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did that. And I was like, I. Uh, I don't think there's a way I can weasel out of this. I think, <laughs> I think this happens. Man, all right, all right. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Look, if you're not going to abuse Wish, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to double abuse it, right. but right at the end yeah. when it counts. And in that moment, Cube, their artifact companion, who is the remnant of Primus, the great chain of being and one of the greatest foes of Belshalor speaks up in a tiny, tinny voice and says, I think I can help. And we'll find out what happens next week. Possibly for the last time. <laughs> <laughs> but this week we're going to talk about tieflings. Yeah, speaking of fiends. So, full disclosure, Ishin has been wanting to do this episode since we started talking about non-human player races. I, I didn't know, but I've been wanting to do this episode since I played Planescape Torment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and every time we come up, it's like, oh, we should do another race. And he's like, let's do Tieflings. I'm like, no. Right. You Yeah. You were even like, let's do elves instead. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
Shane hates elves and tieflings. <laughs> My hatred goes only so far. In research for this, I discovered that there are tiefling elves. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I bet they shop at Hot Topic. The, yes, they work there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gadzooks. <laughs> so a tiefling, for those of you who don't know, is a human with fiendish ancestry. Some games outside of D&D, they might be called, you know, Tainted or Devilkin or something like that. Fiend touched. Yeah. They're not half-fiends. They're not cambions. One parent is not a fiend. They're more distantly related than that. And it's like this catch-all phrase. You can have any kind of fiend in your background. Maybe it's a demon. Maybe it's a devil. Maybe it's some other weird kind of thing because, you know, there are a million kind of freaking Bugaloth-type fiends mm-hmm. in D&D. But non-human versions also did pop up, right? The elf version is a fairy. The orc version is the Tanaruk, which we actually saw in Volo's guide. Yeah. The dwarf was called a Maluth. So you mentioned it a bit earlier, but where did tieflings first pop up? Uh, Monty Cook. (laughs) (laughs) They came out in Planescape uh, along with two other races, the Githzerai and the Bariar. I don't know if I'm saying that right. The like half sheep people. I think it's Barrier. Sure, we'll go with that. I mean, whatever. <laughs> it's It's got letters. Yeah, so you got to blame Monty for this. Yeah. He's the one who came up with the tieflings. Right. So they uh, they were a PC race in the Planar Handbook in 3rd Edition, and then in Races of Destiny. And then in 4th Edition, they became a core race and got a big old makeover. Rather than just being some kind of fiend in your background, they were explicitly tied to devils, and they were descendants of a human civilization, Bale Turath, that made a pact with, uh, I think, ex- explicitly Asmodeus. And this is where I began to hate them. Me too, actually. Because they started to look dumb. They looked awesome in 2nd edition and in 3rd edition as well. And then 4th edition, they were just like, I got big horns and a dragon tail. Yeah, well, they took the place of races that I associated as core fantasy races and that was sort of the gnome the rub yes the gnome wait you like you like gnomes no i don't like gnomes <laughs> but i feel like they're more core to fantasy than right, next up in this series is going to be gnomes oh, don't make me do that and you're going to write it oh. <laughs> <laughs> i want to make a devil's bargain please <laughs> In 5th edition, the background of Tieflings is a bit looser. It's not necessarily Asmodeus. It's not necessarily Bale Turath. But the origin is still very heavily devil-specific. And in fact, I think we got Nonath Arcana where there's an abyssal Tiefling, which is dumb, by the way. Like, don't play that. <laughs> uh, that is like demon ancestry. Okay, so kind of getting into our usual topics for this series. What are some reasons to play a Tiefling? This is the one we always say to like make fun of people, but it's totally true. It you play a tiefling because you want to stick out. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're a special snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> and they got a bad rap for that in the second edition, partly because of the way that they were presented in the book. There was a massive random table in the Planeswalker Handbook. Uh, you rolled five times and replaced the stock tiefling racial traits, and the, the the options are insane. Actually, one d four Chan replicates the entire freaking table. It's it's insane. You could get really really weird looks or new spell like abilities or resistances. Some of these were totally op. You might smell like rotted meat or sunlight might damage you, or you could just be immune to weapons that weren't magic or silver. Yep. Later editions really really toned down this stuff. And and you got to remember in second edition. There was a lot of this random stuff at character creation, mm-hmm. but everyone came to the table with their characters rolled. Like the idea of session zero was was not new at the time, but it also wasn't as common for a lot of players that are sort of shaping the direction of the game today, right? Because we were younger at that point, so it was <laughs> teenagers came with this stuff, or, or even younger, right? And they were like, "Oh, cool!" So I just randomly rolled the immunity to everything that isn't magical. Uh, great. <laughs> like uh, and along with double zero and your strength and everything else it's like okay cool like you definitely rolled that randomly i trust you yeah you know so it, it's one of those things where when you make more random things it just got abused yeah no one really showed up with uh my fingers are one inch longer than normal right yeah <laughs> so another tiefling motif oh man that's terrible sounding But uh, you've got something to prove. You've got a chip on your shoulder. So usually tieflings are kind of assumed to be more fiend than human, right? So they're seen as evil. They're seen as manipulators. 
it gives you an easy way to play against type, right? You could be the noble tiefling. And mm-hmm. it, it fits that with your charisma bonus, you fit into plenty of the paladin type classes, right? The paladin, the bard, all these sort of party friendly, relatively good aligned kind of classes. Yeah. If you're planning an arc where you're sort of like downtrodden, beat down, and then, you know, you have to earn the trust of like the people you're working for, maybe even your party. And then like at higher levels, you get to feel like I, I really did like earn this and, and I am trusted for really good reasons, despite the way that I look or smell. Mm. Maybe tiefling is for you. Yeah. It's also good if you want to be that character that is appealing and scary at the same time. Like if you just want to be scary, you can be a half orc. You could, you could be a dragonborn. Yeah. Yeah, if you just want to be that sort of force of personality, you could be a half-elf. Who are actually probably mechanically better than tieflings. Yeah, well, they're better than everything. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> But if you want both at the same time built in, tiefling is for you. So you're going to get a lot of different traits as a tiefling. And as uh, Sword Coast Adventures is, has come out, it, you've got some more options for sort of descriptive abilities. Mm-hmm. But you, you want to keep in mind that question we always ask. So are you typical or are you unique in that quality? Yeah, you don't have to be this particular way, but most of your kind are. And how do you respond to that? Yeah, and I mean, that goes to appearance, right? Do you look like a typical tiefling? Or are you particularly subtle or particularly overt? Or things like uh, you you smell faintly of brimstone? You know, <laughs> yeah. like maybe all tieflings smell faintly of brimstone and it's not that unusual as a tiefling. Maybe you're just particularly brimstony. Right. <laughs> So first off, they get plus two to charisma. A lot has changed with tieflings since they first came out, but they've always had a charisma bonus. They might look repulsive to some people. Some people might find them terrifying with their devil horns and their tails, but there's always something about them that's alluring. There's something that that draws people to them. Yeah, they also get a plus one to intelligence, which is fitting for their sort of devious schemy sort of nature and that probably fits the devil ancestry best right Mm, yeah i think so uh you could say no they just happen to be more intelligent because like their planes touched in some way but everyone believes that it is because they are devious and scheming and they get training and contracts and they're lawyers and if you're not that way then you know maybe you're just curious Mm mm-hmm then Sword Coast Adventures Guide introduces the Ferial Tiefling, which gives you a plus two dex bonus instead of charisma. This I found a little strange because it's the first time we see a Tiefling that doesn't get a charisma bonus. Yeah. You know, they're nimble and fast-fingered. I, I guess this fits with like the street urchin archetype. Yeah, I think it's probably one that is less exposed to people, mm-hmm. right? And that's why Ferial is a fitting title for it. But if you aren't getting a chance to exercise that charisma around people then you're going to be better at avoiding them Mm -hmm. right i will say that don't get stuck on the feral title this plus two decks plus one intelligence really fits a type of person who's sort of grown up in the shadows and wants to stay in the shadows which seems really likely if you have big freaking devil horns and a a long dragon tail yeah I, i would say that's a great way to make yourself look strange (laughs) take that dex bonus you know (laughs) just hide in the shadows all the time exactly which you can do because you have dark vision so no need to worry about that it used to be a lot weirder in second edition you're like oh you can see in the dark that's pretty creepy and strange you know like in darkness darkness yeah yeah. because there's no low light vision anymore like everyone has dark vision right eh. yeah uh you also get fire resistance we've talked about this before in previous iterations of this series this is the kind of ability that totally changes your mindset about certain things. Like if you grow up and you never get heat stroke, you may be working the forge or shoveling coal and it's just less painful because you don't get nearly as burnt as everyone else. How do you feel about that? Do people look at you as someone who's strange because of that or or do they admire you a bit? Yeah, that's a... Totally one of those social class questions too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you're the apprentice of a blacksmith, you're incredibly handy because you can just reach in and, and grab the crucible, right? Like, Maybe if you're the son of a noble, it's a lot riskier that you're playing with fire all the time. Yeah. I like tiefling chef. Oh, okay. Do you, where's your uh, where's your spatula? 
Um, I don't use one. Yeah. <laughs> Wash your hands, young man. <laughs> so you'll also get some innate spells. Um, thaumaturgy, which is the cleric version of prestidigitation. Note that like almost all of the abilities are creepy things. Slamming doors and windows. Yeah. Moaning sounds and whispers. Uh, you'll also get hellish rebuke, which is just retaliation for getting hit. Kind of that fiendish anger. Yeah. And when you use it, do people go, oh, typical tiefling. Right. Uh, and then, of course, the darkness spell. Yeah. Which, remember, you can't see through normally. Right. And then Sword Coast Adventures Guide offers some spells that you can swap out for these. They're mostly mind-affecting things like Vicious Mockery and Thrall. Mind control spells. Yeah. Again, that fits really well with the devil flavor. So we've talked a little bit about appearance, but right now you've got options like large horns, thick tails, basically the same kind of look as 4th edition. Yeah, that's the stock tiefling that you get in the player's handbook in 5th edition. And... I'd, I don't like the look. I think you don't like the look either, Shane. No, it drives me nuts. Yeah. it's To me, I look at it and go, that's not a tiefling. That's that's basically a dragonborn to yeah. me. Yeah. No, I like the idea of, as a tiefling, you, you kind of blend in much better. Yeah, you know? you're always worried about getting found out. Right. You know, <laughs> I always order eggs because I want people to think it's them yep. and like not my sulfur smell. Right. right? Like Nightcrawler. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. I Yeah, I like the little horns and the forked tail version and you know this honestly for me this probably harkens back to torment where like the tiefling that you could pick up as part of your character had like a this weird little rat tail Mm -hmm. but she didn't have like massive horns right sword coast adventures guide does let players choose some of the more iconic and like non-game breaking physical characteristics that were on that original chart so you don't cast a shadow or you don't have a reflection what about wings you can get wings. Uh, that's that's not listed under non-game breaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wings are definitely overpowered, especially at low levels. So, And there's there's no restriction on those wings, right? Right. Heavy armor, fine. I, I would like to imagine they're little imp wings, you know? Just like just tiny, tiny little yeah. things, but it's magical flight, so. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's totally fine. Uh, keep in mind that is not Adventures League legal. Right. Just the wings. Okay, so let's talk about tiefling culture uh, as much as they have one. Well, PHB says they tend toward chaos, but doesn't say anything about them actually being evil. They have a reputation for it, but there isn't anything innate about them that's evil. Right. And then they also choose names sort of based on which heritage they identify with more. So if they see themselves as more infernal, you're going to get a devilish kind of name. Uh, If they see themselves as more human, then you're going to get something that kind of matches the nation they're in. Mm Mm-hmm. In terms of society, tieflings don't typically have their own nation, right? Maybe they're the descendant of that ancient empire, but it's also very likely that fiendish blood just sort of popped up randomly in the gene pool and like, here you go. Yeah. Sorry about that. Right. And that really determines how you interact with other tieflings. Like, do you even know any other tieflings? How do you even know that you're a tiefling? Right. Right? (laughs) Like, if you just have little fangs and like you were born with a tail, you probably just hide that tail and don't tell anyone. Yeah, and it's totally possible that, you know, tiefling blood could run recessive for a long time mm-hmm. and then just suddenly pop up with two parents, right? So you might have human parents and be yourself a tiefling. Yeah. So if that's the case, you're, you're going to have a very different outlook on life than if you were born of two tiefling parents who, you know, have dealt with that sort of um, worldview about them. We're expecting it. Right, yeah. yeah. In, in terms of religion, unlike kobolds who like say, oh, we have dragon blood. And so like we worship dragons, you don't usually get tieflings who are into worshiping fiends so much. You'll get a warlock, which we'll get into later. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably going for w- whatever religious view that the nation that you're born to has. Right. Yeah. So if they're human gods that you worship, great. Um, if it's sort of more neutral, no sweat off your back. Yeah. I think most tieflings who want to stay alive try to blend in yeah. so like Arathis sounds nice as for family ties your childhood really depends on how does that gene pool play out that Shane was just talking about do you have two human parents do you have tiefling parents likely you were raised by humans but if someone gives birth to a kid that looks like a little devil usually you get left outside yeah <laughs> Um, you know, and alternatively, in some settings, you could have like a tiefling colony, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it wouldn't be strange and sigil to have a colony of tieflings that right. kind of grow up as a community. Um, 
it, it's probably a little bit stranger in a place like, oh, say, birthright. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it turns out that one parent has a secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been passing. Right. Th- that smell, that's been me. And with your plus two charisma bonus, it's not difficult to find a romantic partner, but it's probably hard to maintain a relationship, especially if you've got those big horns. Yeah. And, you know, long term, who wants to have a kid who has devil blood? Yeah. Who would bring a kid into this world mm-hmm. who would have to deal with that kind of with that kind of difficulty that you've dealt with? Yeah. Actually, one of the things you could roll on that giant chart in second edition was sterile. Oh, well, that's convenient. <laughs> Done. Solve that problem. Your interactions with pretty much the entire world are going to be based on how obvious are your fiendish features. Yeah, if the disposition towards tieflings is generally negative, then the closer you identify with a tiefling, the more you're going to have to defend your heritage or prove yourself kind of worthy of being a member of society. Mm -hmm. And you may not have that choice. If you've got big horns and a giant tail, that's your life. Yeah. It may get less necessary at later levels. You know, your 15th level, probably peasants, well, after you kill the first one, won't be attacking you as you walk around. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, like as a DM, this is maybe something that you introduce in in an early session, like in a tavern brawl or something. You're highlighting the uh, the nature of the town you're in is is sort of very provincial or very bucolic. Yeah, it's an opportunity to sort of spark violence or potential violence with good aligned creatures, and then see how your party deals with that. Yeah. What about dealing with other fiends, though? <laughs> because it's likely, regardless of how subtle your features, that you know if you run across a devil or maybe even some of the more intelligent demons, that they would recognize that and you know maybe try and use it against you <laughs> yeah i cannot imagine they wouldn't notice that yeah right so yeah they may absolutely focus on you uh in, in attacks right maybe demons specifically like try to attack you and kill you right, right? well because, because you're a devil yeah and, exactly and i can't attack actual devils but i can sure <laughs> attack their you're, kids you're here yeah <laughs> the other option is it could be that fiends spare you like they don't attack you because they're trying to trick either the party or NPCs into thinking that you are allies. Yeah. They, they might see you as the easier one to tempt as sort of the weak link. Yeah. Or, you know, they just might be like, well, you I'll keep alive because you're useful. Yeah. <laughs> I, see, I see a little bit of myself in you, kid. You got a lot of moxie. That's right. Plane shift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy that. And then how do we tie in... Uh, our relationships with other player characters. This is something I think is great for a session zero. You know, being presented with, wait, how do I feel about having a tiefling in the party? Yeah. Um, have you met other tieflings? Yeah, and I think this is probably an above the table conversation as well. Mm-hmm. Of as a player, do I want to deal with inner party conflict? Right. Like, do I need, and, and as a GM as well, right? Do I need my my all of my characters to accept this? Or do I want to deal with the possibility that something could befall a tiefling character that other characters are just going to allow to happen? I think you need to come to some kind of often a compromise yeah. about like everyone actually having fun, but then trying to keep relatives at verisimilitude. And I think a lot of it sort of depends on, you know, in the backstories of these other characters, have they fought fiends before? Yeah. Because there's one thing to be like, oh, there are fiends out there and we're probably going to go fight some eventually, mm-hmm. you know, but oh, here's this person that i know yeah and they can't help it but if you've been through the blood war (laughs) true i mean you and then you've still got the option for oh but he's one of the good ones you know like he's proven himself that he hates fiends and his own fiendish nature as much as anyone you know he's angel (laughs) basically (laughs) like the angel to your buffy and then there are specific races that you might have very particular relationships with. First, the one I'm thinking of is Asimar. Yeah, because you've got a similar sort of origin story. Yeah. And if, I honestly think, if there is any race that is going to give you the benefit of the doubt, it's probably an Asimar, who is, by their nature, like, directed toward good. Yeah, they kind of have the opposite sort of experience, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're probably held to a higher standard. Yeah, and they didn't do anything to earn this. Yeah, like, I look, I don't want that hassle, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, they see the tiefling trying so hard to prove himself. It's like, hey, look, we could we could share here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's share the load. Yeah. 
I got some good deeds for you to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in uh, Volo's guide, the new Asuma write-up, they get that like spiritual advisor, that angel mm-hmm. that like sort of tells them what to do. So that could be an interesting interplay because you have this lawful good angel who actually may be very unreasonable when it comes to a tiefling. Yeah. And then the Asuma are playing intermediary. Yep. Or vice versa, the angel being like, well, all you humans are, like all, all of you humanoids are actually pretty similar. I mean, I could also see like a, a buddy cop type situation where you got like the Asimar and the tiefling and, you know, the angel on the Asimar shoulder, but then the tiefling is also the devil on the, te- on the Asimar shoulder. It's like, yeah, but this way is more fun. <laughs> it's not evil what we're doing. It's just the more fun way of approaching things. Let me explain to you the difference between evil and chaos. Right. <laughs> and I think another kind of race that might sort of see an affinity uh, for tieflings could be Genasi because they are also similarly plain touched and weird. Yeah. Yeah. And in certain settings, I think Genasi and tieflings also play that kind of foil, you know, like dark sun, for example, Genasi mm-hmm. sort of fill the same role as the Azamar. Right. Um, just because there's, you know, there's no celestials. So <laughs> elementals become the, uh, the de facto elemental touch. Right. And I think Genasi owe their existence to tieflings because once tieflings were around, they're like, well, we kind of need to do half human, half other things from the planes. Yeah. So how, what does that look like? Right. So as a tiefling, what are some particular reasons that you might go adventuring? So we've talked about it, but depending on your relationship with society at large, you might be adventuring to prove yourself, mm-hmm. you know, to, to add value to society and, and earn your keep. Yeah. The only reason anyone will think anything good of me is if I make a name for myself. Right. Uh, there's also the exact inverse of that, which is I'm trying to stay on the move. Society yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does not see me in a very positive light, and I don't want it to catch up with me. Yeah, people notice these horns pretty often. Yeah. <laughs> I could also see a tiefling who is out there trying to figure out a way to not be a tiefling, like cleanse their own blood somehow. I, I, I like the idea of searching for something. Um, that's one option. Another one is searching for a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Or or an ancestor, not a parent but um you, you know, mean the devil that spawned them yeah something yeah. like that um or maybe for the truth you know if you don't realize you're a tiefling or you don't understand sort of the greater cosmology mm. of the world maybe you're just looking to figure out why do i have these horns no one else has horns they don't look like orc horns my parents are both human what's going on with me? What's wrong with me? Yeah, I like this idea a lot in a setting that doesn't have a lot of tieflings and yeah. where like it's not a commonly known term. Yeah, and, and where, you know, devils aren't just walking around talking, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sorry, Forgotten Realms. Yeah. <laughs> so mechanically, after Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, when you have an option between plus two charisma or plus two dexterity, you can be good at basically any class in the game. Yeah, so the the core charisma classes, of course, the sorcerer, bard, paladin, warlock, natural fits for the, the tiefling. Yeah, you're almost an ideal warlock. Yeah, uh, or sorcerer. Or bard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and while you don't have strength uh, for paladin, you you be a really nice defensive paladin because yeah. you're still in that heavy armor and shield and you're going to have a very high aura saving throw boost. Right. And then with the feral tiefling, you get the inverse of those right all those martial classes the rogue fighter ranger monk even yeah i love i love monk tiefling i I actually like the rogue here uh, because of the swashbuckler you can actually play either tiefling as a rogue pretty effectively and then maybe they like sort of revel in their like tieflingness right yeah (laughs) (laughs) and don't forget the tiefling that branded you sir (laughs) you're like zoro you just keep carving the t into things (laughs) I'm not a tiefling. I am the, the tiefling. <laughs> the fox, mm, close. Right. <laughs> uh, and then wizard kind of works. Yeah, you do have plus one to intelligence. Dex is nice, but you could even be, you know, that haughty, charismatic wizard. Yeah. But, you know, Dex Blade Singer actually works really well. It does. The only thing that I think is kind of difficult is barbarian. Oh, barbarian is difficult for many races. <laughs> and and druid and cleric don't have any natural synergy either. I like the idea of cleric though, like raised in the temple. Because the temple is the only one who would take you in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like this is my atonement. Yeah, I could I could see that. I don't like that as much because I feel like 
the the flavor around the tiefling just lends itself so well to like kind of a more nihilistic worldview mm. that the I don't know the the strength of faith required to become a cleric mm. is sort of counter to what I think of when I think of playing a tiefling. Well, here's here's what I like for any tiefling base is first level rogue one because rogue one and you're an urchin growing up on the street. Yep. Second level knowledge cleric one. Yep. <laughs> because they took you into the temple. Right. right. And then you realize this isn't really for me. I appreciate it, but I'm striking out on my own. Level three is whatever you want. Level three is sorcerer and now you're brand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do like that as using knowledge cleric as your uh, education almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about combat. You got so many options because you could be almost any class, right? If you're charisma based, you're probably some sort of spell slinger. Yep. And if you're dex based, you can probably hang in there in melee or you're a natural range fighter. Right. And with all the different options from Sword Coast Adventures Guide, you could be a, a talker, right, who can do that from range. Uh, or you can, you know, have those burning hands or hellish rebuke abilities where you, you stay in close and yeah. retaliate. Yeah. And this versatility actually might turn some wheels in your head as you're listening to this because you could actually do an all tiefling campaign and have quite a bit of diversity between mm. feral and core tieflings mm-hmm. and their different appearance and, and sort of special characteristics you could actually get a decent amount of diversity and be in different classes and still be relatively effective in each of those classes hashtag not all tieflings <laughs> right i mean that's the campaign right <laughs> Skills again, dexterity and charisma. Interaction, they just naturally gravitate toward it. Yep. Or skulking around. Yep. So there's no magic items tied to tieflings Mm -hmm. uh, other than the general fiendishly associated cursed items. Uh, You know, nothing really fits in as as tieflings because tieflings don't really have an innate culture Mm -hmm. that's well defined in most settings. Yeah. Dwarves make them for other dwarves, but there aren't really tieflings around making them for other tieflings. Right. But ask your GM, you might be able to use some of those fiendish items that you find that are like specifically for use by devils. Yeah. That's probably going to come with some baggage. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Things that would alter your appearance make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to keep a low profile. Don't want those horns out and about all the time. Yeah. Why are you adventuring? I want to buy a hat of disguise. Yeah. (laughs) And then high-powered, like, holy relics, where if you're walking around with it, people have to go, hold on, you can't be evil. I see that you've got the miter of St. Cuthbert. Right. The, uh, <laughs> the white robes of the Magi. Interesting. <laughs> hmm. It wouldn't let you wear those if it didn't like you. Right. So, so like uh, most human beings, I will immediately defer all of my intelligence to an object. <laughs> You're wearing the right uniform. (laughs) That makes sense. Great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what's your, uh, what's your takeaway on tieflings? What's your sales pitch for the tiefling? I love that they're so varied and that you can be a special snowflake without having to take over an entire game. Right. I'd like to play the secret tiefling. Mm. I got tiny little horns but I wear a hat. I got some fangs and I don't cast a shadow. If you know what you're looking for, you can find me. But if I'm careful and I'm good, I think I can get by in this world. Yeah, I I like that. I like that it is a character secret that can be very present at the table. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people build those secrets into their backstory and they don't have a real way of coming out that works in the game. But Tiefling does. Plus, they've got an excellent provenance. Do you hear that, Ishan? I believe I dropped the Mitre of St. Cuthbert. (laughs) Well, it's time to find somebody worthy of picking it up. Mm. So let's move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can fit it into 140 characters at totalpartythrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrillcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at totalpartythrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are borrowing from our topic. (laughs) And we are creating the Faustian Fiddler. 
totally not playing against type. Right. <laughs> so like Robert Johnson or Paganini, there have always been stories of musicians so dedicated to their craft that they would sell their soul to the devil. Despite your best efforts, I know you're from Tennessee. I know you know about the devil who went down to Georgia. <laughs> I spent some time in Tennessee. I'm not from there. Whatever. <laughs> the point is, you're leaving out Johnny, and you're not doing him any service. He's got a golden fiddle, all right? This musician actually sold their soul. The goal is we're trying to get basically as high a skill check as possible. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, they did this with the grappler. Yeah, but this one sold their soul to the devil, and so can actually do a little better. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so what's the build? Lorebard, 14. Makes sense. Fiendish Warlock, 6. Okay. So, Bard, we're going to get expertise, lots of skills, so jack many. of all trades, all that sort of stuff. Uh, very party-friendly sort of mechanics. Yeah, so actually a useful character. And one that's themed around, you know, using that instrument that you're the master of. Yeah, it could be multiple instruments. Yeah, well, it, it should be instruments of the Bard, right? The magic items. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and then at level 14, you'll get Peerless Skill, uh, which allows you to use Bardic Inspiration on your own skill checks, giving you a bonus D10. But wait, why don't we go to level 15 and make that a D12? Uh, because we want some Warlock, Ishan. Six whole levels, huh? Uh-huh. What happens in six levels of Warlock? Well, you'll get three invocations. That gets you your Eldritch Blast powered up. I like that you're a very good bard. And, you know, 14 levels of bard is a good character. Mm-hmm. And you've got a really nicely souped-up Eldritch Blast. Yep. The Pact of the Tome will give you three cantrips from any class. One of those should be Guidance, which will give you an extra D4 in your skill check. Yep. And then, we're of course, you sold your soul to a devil, so we have to be a Fiend Pack Warlock. That gets us Dark One's Own Luck at level 6, a plus D10 to a skill roll. So we're looking at plus 2D10, plus D4, plus Expertise. And you're rolling a d20. <laughs> Not bad. No, I feel like I feel like a maximum roll of 44 plus 12 with expertise, and the uh, and the charisma book, right, to get to 22 charisma. So a maximum roll of 56. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty good for Pathfinder. <laughs> Those were good numbers for fourth edition. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> We did it. We broke it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's for fiddling, but still. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, I think with a 56, people's heads explode. Yeah, you, uh, you, somebody's face melts. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Shane. So how did your Faustian fiddler make their deal? I, I mean, sometimes you just want to melt faces, right? <laughs> I mean, I... I I know this isn't quite canon, but I feel like he plays an electric guitar. I feel like he he has a magical guitar that that plays electric. It's like a he's like a he's not a blues guitarist. He is just rocking power ballads and full on metal solos. Hear me out. One of the cantrips is shocking grasp, at which powers the guitar. I love it. Yes, that's it. Uh, and then you know this is of course channeled into his eldritch blast. <laughs> <laughs> Because, of course, his guitar shoots laser beams. <laughs> because nothing is more metal than that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, his goal is to literally melt faces. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every time he does melt somebody's face, because of Dark One's blessing, he gains some temporary HP. <laughs> mm, that face is delicious. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so tell me about your Faustian Fiddler. Mine is a, a slighted country musician. He performed for a court, did very well, you know, practiced his heart out, and was probably the best in the land, but just never got quite the recognition or the pay. In fact, he got stiffed. And so he decides, you know, I'm going to teach these people a lesson. Makes a pact, right? Sells a soul at a crossroads and becomes the world's best piper. Oh. Walks into town late one night and starts playing... A beautiful haunting melody that attracts all the children of the town. This is dark. I don't think you're building a PC. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> well, this is the backstory. It's before level one. Oh, great. <laughs> Makes sense. And then, you know, leads them off uh, and they create their own town, a socialist utopia. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah no, that yeah, makes no, a lot of sense. Fine, oh, yeah, perfect. Fine. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> Chaotic good. Yeah, heart of gold. <laughs> he's, he's Neil Young. <laughs> <laughs> 
Great. All right. If you want to support the show, even after that, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we will read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And we have a review this week, Ishan. It is from Chainsaw Boy 63. Title totally accurate. Five stars. Discovered this excellent podcast just recently and enjoyed it quite a bit. While geared towards D&D, it offers thoughts and advice that can be applied to all RPGs. Thanks for making it. Thank you for listening, Chainsaw Boy 63. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll actually be answering your questions in a mailbag episode. And in the character creation forge? We're building the Flash, like that, the Flash. This should be over quick. That's it for episode 72 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.